Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, thanks. Uh, it is, uh, as everyone who would come to this place, they would say it's a great honor to be here this morning. And so, uh, if you would, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians, where we're going to take a few moments to look into chapter 2. Uh, as uh, Dr. Aiken mentioned, I work with a, a ministry called the Baptist World Alliance, and so I want to bring you greetings uh, from all of those conventions and unions that network through the BWA. At current pace, we have 240 conventions and unions in 125 countries and territories around the world who partner together for the common mission of Christ, of impacting our globe, uh, their peoples and peoples all around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to be able to recognize that, that there are such a, a vast array of peoples around the world. Currently within our alliance, it numbers up to about 48 million Baptists that participate through the Baptist World Alliance. And so I, I want you to know that over the last decade, uh, that your fellow church uh, members uh, in the global church, that there is a, a great movement of God that we've been watching, especially in South America and in Africa. In fact, in, in the last 10 years, Baptists in Africa have grown by 177%. There is so much for us to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And so as they pray for us here in the United States of America, let me encourage you to pray for them and all of the work that they are doing. This morning, as we take a few minutes to look into the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to just simply speak about the idea that we are here for the sake of truth. Uh, that seems like a, a, a normal kind of message that you would hear from this pulpit and from this school and from your professors and anyone who would visit here, but it is worth us digging back into this idea time and time again because there's always going to be another reason that the world gives to you and that your flesh gives to you as to why we live out the life that we've got. Now, there is one particular scholar who said about the book of 2 Corinthians that it is somewhat of a hidden pastoral epistle. Now, we know technically 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are the pastoral epistles written by Paul to pastors, but there's something about 2 Corinthians that puts on display what it looks like to be a pastor, what it looks like to be a church leader. We get a little bit of an insight into the heart of Paul for a congregation and for a people. And so it, it, is a, it stands as a good reminder for all of us that when you look at 2 Corinthians, it's, it's written to those of us that are just church members, uh, people like you and I who sit in the pew and that we feed on the Word of God from great church leaders, that we engage ourselves into the ministry and into the mission of the church. Church. But Paul writes to this very troubled congregation in the midst of the Roman Empire, an oppressive regime where the Christians were under the boot of the powers of this world, and he wants to remind them time and time again who they are in Christ. In fact, I think that if you take a, a, a careful look at the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians that you'll find over 30 descriptions as to who you are in Christ. Even in this particular passage that I'll read to you in a moment, there are a couple of descriptions even here. And so, uh, let's dig into the Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
beginning at verse 14, and I'll read through verse 17. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the Word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. You know, for one moment, let's pray again and ask the Spirit to teach us. Father, what we do not know, will you show us? And how we are not ready, will you equip us? And what we are not yet, will you form us so that we will be like Christ and join him in his mission? For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Paul says, but thanks be to God who leads us in this, in this triumphal procession. There was a historical uh, practice in the Roman Empire that was called the Roman Triumph. It is the ancient precursor uh, to our ticker tape parades today. When uh, a, a general would come home with all of his soldiers in victory and all the spoils of war and all of the prisoners of war, and they would march into the capital cities in order to display their military prowess and all of the victory. And Paul reminds this troubled church that was soaked uh, with turmoil and had sin, had been insidiously inserted into it, and he says, we want to thank God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. This is a present reality for the Corinthians who felt battered by the world, who felt as if they were assaulted by temptation. This was their present reality. They were not waiting for the king to arrive. They were not waiting for the conquering general to arrive. They were not waiting for the parade to happen. It was happening, and they were in the middle of it. And he said, even in the midst of your trouble and even in the midst of your turmoil, you're in the triumphal procession. The victory has been secured. And as you go to classes today and throughout all of this week and you look upon the rest of the world, there will be times where you will wonder. There will be times of skepticism that might rise up within your heart and in your mind to think, well, where is the victory that is so often spoken about in scriptures because I am getting beat down. I am troubled in my heart. I've got unanswered questions. And yet this is the place where we look back to the truth of the scriptures to remind ourselves that Jesus has secured all of this for us. Just this past week there was a, a, a horrifically tragic news of a young pastor in Southern California who was a public and transparent advocate for, for mental health who sadly and tragically took his life, Jared Wilson. It was one month ago yesterday that Jared and I traded messages, uh, that we encouraged one another, uh, that I encouraged him to pursue uh, his plans to host a retreat for burned-out pastors. Jared loved to fish, and he loved to hike. 
And yet he was very open about all of the troubles that he had in his emotions and in his mind and how they plagued him. And now we should pray for his widow, Julie, and for his two little children. Because Jared wrestled with this idea of the triumph that he had in Christ, yet the troubles that he faced in this world. And we, not any of us in the, in the order of ministries uh, that are vocational or any of you who are just seeking to dig down deep into your faith, none of us are immune from the troubles of this world. They can take us captive if we do not remember the greatness that we have in Christ. It is why we need one another. It is why we need pastors in our lives. It is why we need you to serve as leaders of the Gospels. It's why we need good biblical counselors for us to be constantly reminded of how Christ has secured us. And in this early troubled church, they needed to remember that we live by and for the sake of truth. He says, you are in this triumphal procession that is spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him, of Christ, in every place. What an incredible honor for us to think about the legacy of Dr. Braswell and his wife and what they have accomplished and what Christ has done through them, that he was spreading the aroma of Christ through two people that had no idea that it would happen to them, but he would take them to the ends of the earth to a place that was seemingly impossible to go not to build their reputation, not in order to make themselves well-known, not in order for them to accomplish something that was humanly possible, but to spread the aroma of Christ. I want you to remember that your identity before God is secured in Jesus. He says there in verse 15, for to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The first place where the aroma of Christ wafts from your soul, the first place where it is noticed is not by the people of the earth, but by the God who is in heaven. We are the very fragrance of Christ. We are a worshipful aroma of the beauty of Jesus to the Father who is in heaven. The one who had the ledger book that was dripping in red that we were guilty of it all has now recognized because of the beauty of the completed and finished work of Christ, you are now a fragrant aroma to him. Now, being the father of two sons that are now in their early 20s, I can attest with all assurance that for the most part of their life, they stank. I mean, bedrooms and lockers and bathrooms and the house in general was generally not fun to be around two teenage boys. And so to their father, a lot of times their odor betrayed that there was something going wrong in their life. My younger son, Chris, that Dr. Aiken, you met recently, served as a camp counselor for wind-shaped camp for boys for a couple of years, and, and I, uh, for a couple of summers, and I asked him, I said, Chris, what was one of the most difficult parts of being a counselor? I mean, there you were with a bunch of grade school kids, I mean, and, and it was hot, and it was summertime, and, you know, what was generally the, the one thing that you had to police the most? And he said, deodorant. And he was like, those kids, I mean, they, their moms packed it, they just, it, it wasn't that they didn't know it was there, it's just they refused to put it on. They wore it like a badge of honor that they stank. You know, who could outstink the other kid? 
And, and there is something about our lives where we know walking around there is an odor to our sin. It is odious and it is poisonous and it is insidious and it is infectious. And yet, in Christ, before God, you are now a fragrant offering of worship before the Father. You are his perfect offering made manifest in this world, that he has spread abroad his righteousness into your life. And your identity before God is not the odor and the stink of your sin any longer, but it is the fragrant aroma of what Christ has accomplished in you. And when you woke up this morning, maybe you didn't think that. You woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you saw who you really are. You saw the old person that you used to be. You saw all the problems. You saw all the flaws. You saw all of the, the things that hadn't gotten done for classes. You saw all the broken relationships that were your fault. You saw all of the sinfulness. And once again, we rose from our sleep this morning and we confessed our sins and we asked God to do a great work in us. And that work is being done in us because we are now the fragrant aroma of Christ before the Father. Those things which are the former life no longer define your standing before God in heaven. But not only is it your identity before God, it is also your testimony to the world. He says there in verse 16, to some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Your fellow believers need for you to live out this new identity because to them, you are the aroma of life. You are the reminder of hope. Uh, there is a, a great statement that uh, supposedly was made by a, a little bit of a dictator uh, many, many years ago uh, from France that said that leaders are dealers in hope. Well, shouldn't that be true of every believer that we are the dealers of hope to one another? Has there not been those moments in your Bible study groups and in your worship services and in those coffee house conversations where all you needed was the hope of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you needed it to be reinvigorated by another believer, that you simply needed them to give you courage? Just a couple of days ago, uh, I was speaking with one of my friends who is uh, about 30 years ahead of me in ministry, and uh, he is, he's nearing the end uh, of his career, and, he's beginning, and he has begun to think about legacy. And every time I get together with him, it stirs my soul and it gives me courage because of what I've seen God accomplish through him that I know that God can do those things in me as well. That because I have the same spirit within me that is in, within him, that God can do those things in all of us. And I find myself constantly just simply being a reminder of hope and a reminder of the gospel to those of us that are already saved. I just think about the many times I've been in worship services, whether it's here domestically or somewhere around the world, whether I was listening to worship in my language or in another language. And to see people, uh, believers, enraptured in the work of Christ and in the worship of the cross and in the knowledge of the resurrection and how it gives me hope. 
Uh, earlier uh, this year, I visited uh, in the, some of the barrios of Rio de Janeiro. I was there on a, a trip with uh, some of my BWA colleagues, and as we're getting ready for our big World Congress next year, it's going to be this huge gathering of thousands of people at this big convention center in Rio, but we took some time to do some of the mission projects that we hope to initiate in the years to come with the Brazilian Baptist Convention. And one of those is the mission work that is done among the, the crack addicts, uh, which is just, uh, it, it is just a blight and a plague on the city. And yet, we had this opportunity to go to one of the residential treatment centers that the Baptists in, in Brazil have begun, and, and we visited with these men who were in this one- to two-year residential treatment center who had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And, and I think, you know, here I am, the, the, the suburbanite, the American, the middle-aged guy, which is such a terrible description I have to give to myself now. You know, I, I, a middle America kind of guy. I live in a coastal community in southwest Florida where, you know, it's just summertime all year long, and it's just an easy kind of lifestyle. And then every once in a while, I begin to kind of, you know, uh, you know, complain and whine about how hard things might be. And there I was at this residential treatment center for these uh, former crack addicts outside of Rio de Janeiro. And, and at one point we had been in this, we entered into this worship service and one of the guys in our group was going to uh, preach the message that day through the translator. And, and, and as I watched these former crack addicts that I knew that among them, some of them had, had pimped themselves out in order to get money uh, for their crack addiction, that, n that a number of them uh, had been transvestite, uh, prostitutes. And I saw these guys desperate to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that they were desperate to sing the glories of the Christ who has risen from the dead and had transformed their very broken lives. And it, it reinvigorated my own faith because I was smelling the aroma of life from them that they had crossed from darkness and death and brokenness and sin and that all of their debts had been paid. And now as they worshiped in this little open-air building uh, with a really bad sound system that cracked and had static and a, and a video projector that was dim and the bulb barely worked and there was no smoke and there was no high technology and there was nobody who was really all of that musically talented that was playing the instruments and there was no really great singers there and they was just all hung together by, as we said, would say in Alabama, by duct tape and baling wire. And yet here were these guys just desperate to sing the praises of Christ our King. And I smelled life in that place. This is their testimony, and this is your testimony, that every time you worship, it's not just about you and Jesus, and every time you go to Bible study, it's not just about you and the Word, and every time you go to serve, it's not just you and about the baby whose diaper you're changing, or about you and the teenage guy that you're trying to mentor. It is about how you are now spreading the testimony and the identity of who you are in Christ to all of us who are believers, and how you are reinvigorating our faith, and you're you're giving us hope that, yes, that we can keep plowing this road, that, yes, we can keep telling the story of the good news. But he says, to those who are perishing, but to others, you are the aroma of death leading to death, that you have the odor and the stink 
and the stench of death. It is a comfort to one, and it is a call of repentance to another, that Christ is working in us, and the Spirit's presence is within us, that we are now living in this world as the rebellion against the rebellion in this world, that yes, you are an ambassador, yes, you're a soldier, yes, you're a minister, but also, yes, you are the stench of death to a world that is dying in their sin. You are the reminder of what sin does. You are the reminder of the price that has to be paid. You are a reminder, and you will not always be welcome, and you will not always uh, be shown kindness and graciousness. And that is because you are now in the last rebellion against the world, and that's faithfulness to the true king. Your testimony to the faithful believer is one of hope, and your testimony to the unbelieving world is that death is nearby, and they desperately need to hear this word. So oftentimes, the idea of repentance is rejected by the world as from an angry God like Zeus who just wants to lightning bolt all of us, or Thanos who just wants to snap us out of existence. But in reality, repentance is the kindest call of God so that the, those who are dead might find life in Christ. And Paul asks an incredibly important question. Though we are the aroma of death to some and the aroma of life to others, he then says there in verse 16, who is adequate for these things? This is where that gift of being desperate to not be yourself, to not be your best self, to not have the best version of yourself, but it is the desperate idea that can I simply put on display the worthiness of Christ because all of us are utterly unworthy except by Christ. I think about my own life and how blessed I am, the kind of Baptist Christian pedigree that I've got. You know, the son of Philip and Dolores Nation, uh, my mom, Dolores, who is now with Christ, a faithful servant within the church who did all sorts of personal ministries behind the scenes that nobody ever knew about and prayed diligently for my sister and I all of those young years growing up, diligent in all of her private devotions, diligent in serving Christ. I think about my father, who was a leader in our church and a deacon in our church and a businessman in our community and a respected voice among his peers. I think about my sister who paved the way of faithfulness to Christ, who gave me a great example of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus, how I came to Christ early in life, how I felt called to ministry as a teenager, preached my first sermon when I was 16, went straight on into studying religion and the master's degree program at Beeson Divinity School, and right into Christian ministry and publishing and traveling and all of these things, and yet all of those things, as great as they are in this world, I I am counted unworthy except for what Christ does in me. It doesn't matter how many times your blog gets viewed. It doesn't matter how many Twitter followers you have. It doesn't matter whether or not you get the book published or you get the big pulpit or you're counted as faithful by your peers. It is because Christ has placed the aroma of his life within you, the hope of our glory. Who's adequate for these things? Paul is certain that he is not, that none of us are. And so he answers one of the great problems that is happening in the Corinthian church there in verse 17. He says, who's adequate for these things? He says, but let me tell you, for we 
do not market the Word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Your identity before God is what Christ has done in you, and it is beautiful to the Father in heaven. And your, your testimony to the world is life to the faithful, and it is a warning of death to those that are still lost. And so our work, our dedication, is to be a witness with the Word of God. Paul calls out the hucksters and the charlatans that have snuck into the Corinthian church. And he uses a Greek term there that refers to the tavern keepers and the wine sellers that would dilute their goods in order to make an effort, an extra profit. Essentially, he said, there are swindlers among you that are diluting the Word of God, and by doing so, they are demeaning and diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do it for profit, and they do it for personal agendas. He calls out the philosophers with their moral skepticism and their specious reasoning, and the false teachers that all they wanted was an audience and a wage. Let me just warn any of you who might be headed toward vocational ministry that if you think that this is a way for you to be respected among the community and to make a good living, please go find something else to do. Uh, neither of those are good reasons to move into vocational ministry. What you will find in vocational ministry is a beautiful life being carried along by the Spirit of God in the midst of turmoil and, and rebellious people, stiff-necked and obstinate and churlish at times, and yet blessed by God in every sense of the word because you are carrying the good news of Jesus Christ who desperately to people who desperately need it, which is why he says, even though there are people who are marketing, peddling, swindling people with a diluted and a demeaned gospel message for profit, he says, on the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Our work is to deliver the word in its true form while living in a world and sometimes even a church obsessed with sin and self. Because without the word, ministry is like trying to feed hungry people without food and covering naked people without clothing. There is no equation that gets you to the answer. The only way that we can do ministry well, whether you are a Bible study leader for children or a pastor of a megachurch or a missionary to a foreign country or any other type of ministry, vocational or volunteer, is that you carry the precious Word of God with the crystal of the gospel within it to people that smell the stench of death because they're dying in their sins or that need the hope of life reinvigorated within them because they're the believers. And he says, we do this with sincerity in Christ. This is a place where all of us have got to test ourselves. How integral, how much integrity, how, if we could give a summation of your life, would it come down to the Word of God? Or is it that there's worldly reasoning? Is it that there has been some personal preferences uh, that you have interpreted passages so that you could accommodate uh, your own little pet sins? 
And let me just say that sin is never a pet to tame. It will always be a beast that needs to be slayed. But instead, there are times in our lives where we lose the sincerity and the integrity of delivering the Word of God because we want to accommodate. We want to accommodate a personal opinion because somehow our flesh gets a little offended by one of the doctrines of Scripture that we think, surely that can't be the case. Surely that can't be the way. That's not the way of the world. That's not the way of my peers. It's not the way of my culture. And yet we have to, we have to anchor ourselves down deep that we want to deliver the Word of God with sincerity. It's the only way that we can continue to be the aroma of Christ as a, as a worthy offering to God and the aroma of Christ to a world that is waiting to hear of its hope. He says, so we, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God. We are on His mission. Man, the word go is rung out from this campus to around our country and around the world day after day after day, and rightfully so, because we are all going. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus made it clear that we are on his mission. We've been swept up into this great missionary enterprise of what he's doing in the world. And as people who are carrying the aroma of Christ, it is not for us to hide in our evangelical subcultures. It is not for us to create our own little Baptist Amish communities on campuses dotted around megacities in the world and hope that people will come and visit us because on Sunday mornings, our neighbors are not asking the question, will or will I not go to church? That, that question's not even in their top 20 list. And so instead, we've got to be the people that we are sent out with sincerity in Christ, speaking about the Word of God from God in order to bleed out into the world and, and to carry with us the aroma of Christ. Just very recently in our home, we had a very sad occasion. Our, our dog, Gizmo, who was 14 and a half years old, uh, went uh, to the proverbial farm. And in our neighborhood, uh, there in southwest Florida, uh, we get to know our neighbors by walking our dogs. I mean, that's kind of how, I mean, you kind of learn everybody else's dog's name before you learn anybody, any human name. And there's this one particular set of, of neighbors that we've got, uh, Erica and Denise. So that gives you a little insight there, uh, that they knew Gizmo long before they knew Philip and Angie. And when Angie was out for Gizmo's final walk around the neighborhood, she bumped into Erica and Denise. And they asked because they knew Gizmo had been going blind, Gizmo had been losing his faculties, Gizmo had been losing his hearing, he kind of limped around. And, and when Angie let them know that this was kind of Gizmo's final kind of tour around the neighborhood, like, Erica like wept and had to leave. And then later on, we got, a, we got a bereavement card from them. And, and it has now, like, cracked open the door where now we have to make the decision when we see Erica and Denise. Is it that we want to engage with them about Gizmo and their dog and our house and their house and the pond? And recently in our neighborhood, we had a, a five-foot alligator in one of our ponds because it's Florida. Or are we going to utilize this opportunity to be purveyors of the hope of the gospel to neighbors that live literally 100 yards from us? 
Because we have been sent with the aroma of Christ, and it will be tough at times because suddenly we might become the aroma of death. We will have the stench of what sin does in a person's life. But we've got to make that decision on a personal level. It's not just Philip is the preacher guy who travels around the world, and we kind of get a pass in the neighborhood. Instead, it's what are we going to do with the daily interactions with Craig, my neighbor across the street, and Erica and Denise down the road, and Adria that lives right next door. What are we going to do with the people that we interact with at the stores and in the neighborhoods all the time? Are we going to carry and be willing to be shorn up by Christ that we're going to speak insincerity in Christ sent from God? And the only way to do this is with that last phrase, and before God. When you suddenly realize that everything that you do and every way that you live is also in a worshipful accountability before the King of glory. It's not just that I've been sent out from God and he is in the cheap seats yelling directions, but I am also constantly before God in worshipful accountability to him, that he is watching my every movement. He is hearing my every word. He knows my every thought and my every intent. He knows every temptation that is coming down the pipeline toward me. He knows every opportunity that I have to share the gospel. He knows every moment that I'll be able to mentor another Christian. He knows everything that's going to happen in this day ahead. And so now I have to decide how am I going to live the aroma of Christ that I have inherited freely from God, that now am I going to live for his glory and his kingdom or for my gain and my reputation? Am I going to live out of the, the problems and the pain of this world, am I, or am I going to live for the gospel and its power? And as young adults, and some that are maybe not as young in the room, from the professors to the students, from the faculty to the staff, this is our assignment, not given to the pastor of the church in Corinth, not just given to the elders of the church there, not just given to the, those that would serve in some kind of diaconate ministry there, but this is a letter to the people of the church of Corinth that you carry the aroma of Christ, that this is your identity, that this is your assignment, that this is your act of worship, to speak in sincerity in Christ from God before God holding up the precious jewels of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are the clay pots carrying it into this world as tender and as fragile as we might be that we carry the eternal message of hope your identity is going to drive your activity. Where is it that you root and anchor who you truly are is going to then be unveiled in what you do next and as young adults, especially in the room, I want you to be reminded that your identity is not found in the pleasures of this world or even in the popularity of the evangelical subculture. Nor is it found in the pain that the world has inflicted upon you in your past or in the pugilism and the warfare that you can do in the Christian blogosphere and social media. None of those places are where you will find your identity but rather in the fact that you have been made the aroma of Christ before God, before the church, and in the world. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have given us a new identity in Christ, that we have not been left to our own devices to somehow figure it out. 
but that you have been so graceful and merciful to allow us to be known by you, to be made righteous in Christ, and to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So would you give hope to this gathering today that as we have lifted up the name of Christ, celebrated gospel ministry around the world, and once again recognize that he is doing a great work within us that is accomplished through the cross and the empty tomb and will be consummated at his soon return, that, Lord Jesus, today, that we speak with sincerity in Christ, your great word, being sent out from you and worshiping before you. For it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.